chapter 4. We are in week uh, 9 now of this series called Different. We've been looking at literally the, the difference the gospel makes in our life and how the gospel inundates every aspect of our life and it changes the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we live, our attitudes of our heart. And so the gospel changes all of that. And as Jason referenced earlier, as Peter's writing these words, he's writing to the church that's been dispersed in Asia Minor and they're beginning to have a lot of persecution and suffering and trial. And so the book is kind of bookended by suffering and struggle and, and, and what have you know, that's where we're back at today. And so uh, this morning, I want to talk about the gospel of suffering to some, some degree. Um, I do want to point out to you before we get to our text, though, this is week nine. We got one more week in the book, and then we're going to be jumping into the minor prophets. And so uh, people have asked me, what's next, Pastor? Well, we're going back to the minor prophets in a series called God and the Ruins beginning in just a couple of weeks. So if you want to get an A in the class, you can go ahead and start reading back in the minor prophets, and I'll try to bump your grade up at the end of the semester, okay? Just kidding, okay. First Peter chapter uh, 4, if you have your Bible, we'll start in verse 12, okay? If you're with me, say uh-huh. If you're online with us, grab a Bible, grab a piece of paper. If you're in the rows, you should have a worship guide. There'll be a few things I'll fill in for you rather quickly this morning. I will not preach 45 minutes. I make you a promise of that this morning. I'll preach 46. I'm just kidding, 45, less than 45. Okay, verse uh, 12, chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised, Peter writes, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, Peter begins talking about suffering early in the book, he comes back to this idea of suffering because it's an important part of Peter's theology. I think it's helpful for us to have a robust theology of suffering. Amen? Uh, It's not by accident that the gospel highlights the suffering of Jesus Christ. It's not by accident the gospels also highlight the fact for those who are in Christ, we too would suffer. Amen? Right? It is not a popular message, though, in the modern church. There are certain things I kid about this last week that you don't talk about in the modern church. You don't talk too much about sin. People feel uncomfortable. You don't talk about hell because people don't want to talk about that. And you certainly don't talk about money. I mentioned all three of them last week, by the way, in the sermon, right? And somehow I'm still your pastor this week. I have no idea how, okay? All right. You don't talk about that. And you certainly don't talk about suffering because what we don't want to experience is suffering, But it is important to talk about. In fact, I would argue that the theology of suffering may be one of the most important understandings that we have in our understanding of the gospel, all right? Because if Christ suffered, then it is a foregone conclusion. If you walk in Christ, you too will suffer, amen? Number one, your worship, guys. The gospel of suffering should not be just a minor emphasis in the church today but a major theme, and the the purpose is that it motivates gospel obedience. Amen? The gospel of suffering shouldn't be just a minor theme or emphasis, but a major theme that motivates gospel obedience in our life. We don't talk about suffering enough, and perhaps because we honestly, we got it too good, don't we, right? We don't live in places where the Bible literally is illegal to study. We don't live in some of these places in the 1040 window where the, the, the religion of Islam is so pronounced that even a mention of Christ will get you killed, right? We don't live in places in the world where the church is experiencing lots of persecution and suffering. We live in America, and as much as we, we complain, and yes, I complain sometimes about the environment that we live in, the politics of the world that we live in, we really aren't experiencing suffering yet, yet, Right? But I got to tell you, the the more as the day draws near, here's a promise you can take to the bank. We will. 
We've got to be prepared for that. One of the, the dangers we have in the church by not highlighting and emphasizing the gospel of suffering is number one, we're not prepared for it when it comes, right? And number two, when the persecution, when the suffering, when the trial comes, then we're not ready to evaluate what's going on and look to God who's in the midst of that suffering with us. Amen? Right? And so we miss the opportunity to highlight, and here, here's the, the bottom line of suffering, the faithfulness of God in the midst of, suf- of suffering. Right? And so we, we're shocked. And I think that's what Peter's saying. Don't be shocked when bad times come. It's, it's kind of funny to me that Peter even has to say this. The church is experiencing this. The church has always experienced this. In fact, the true church of Jesus Christ has always experienced on some level suffering, right? And it has identified the church of Jesus Christ. It has not been an exception. It has been the normative fruit of gospel obedience, Right? When we say that in our life, now, preach like, you're preaching this a lot. Yes, I am. Because you know what I find in the Bible? The more I look in the Bible, the more I find suffering. I find persecution. I find struggle. And if I, as a pastor, do not equip you to walk through that faithfully, then I have not done my faithful job. Amen? Right. Romans chapter 8, Peter or Paul writes, he said, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul highlights suffering in view of eternity. So the suffering that we experience in this life because of the gospel is one small nuance of something much greater. And I've referenced this analogy before. It's like, like we, we want to look at the suffering like it's one little grain of sand compared to a desert of eternity blessing, Right? But we complain about our grain of sand. It's so bad. But Paul says it's light and momentary affliction. It's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, I said, have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And here's the reality in the midst of suffering. In the world you will have tribulation. That is a promise of God. Oftentimes when I talk about suffering, I talk about the promises of God. There are some promises of God that we love, Right? God, God's going to be with us no matter what, and God's going to do this. These are the promises of God that we can hang our hat on. Praise God for all of his, his good, faithful promises, and they all have their yes in Jesus. Amen? Right? Some of them promises aren't so fun. This one's one of them. In this world, you will have tribulation. But here's the good part. Here's the real part of the promise. But take heart, I've overcome that world. Amen? Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this morning, I want to talk about suffering, righteous suffering. There are two types of suffering, and we'll get there in just a second. There's the suffering that we cause because of our sin, right? Amen, right? Sometimes we can be dumb. Can we just say it? We can be dumb, all right? Some some more than others. Don't nudge your husband or wife right now, okay? But we can be dumb. And the consequences of our sin cause suffering. Amen? Right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. Like because of righteousness sake, you suffer. You are marginalized. You are picked on. You are disregarded in the world. Right? That kind of suffering. We're not talking about because of our own uh, dumbness. Amen? I won't say the other word, the S word. Okay? Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. Paul says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but on the other side of the coin, but you also suffer for his sake. So it's been granted that you believe, but you also suffer. Amen? You might want to make a note of this. I believe that suffering may be the greatest fruit of a life lived in the gospel. 
suffering. Not, not decisions, church. Not membership. Not the size of the campus. Not the name of the church. Not the resume of the pastor. Suffering may be the greatest indication of a person walking in obedience to the gospel. Suffering. Now, we don't like to accept that, but that's the reality. Verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 4. But rejoice. I love Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So rejoice in the midst of suffering, knowing that one day his glory will be revealed and you'll be delivered completely from the suffering. Amen. Right? There will be no, no more tears. Amen? On that day. So our tears on this day is blanketed by the fact that one day those tears will completely come to an end. There's a command here. He says, rejoice. Now, I want to kind of frame that because he's not saying, hey, we're supposed to be happy that we're in suffering. We're not masochist, right? We're not, we don't like pain. But instead, we rejoice for something altogether different. Verse number two in your worship guide, number two. We do not rejoice because we enjoy suffering. How, how crazy would that be? Well, I just enjoy suffering, preacher, right? Bring on the suffering. Yeah. And a helping of potatoes and some fried chicken. Amen, Baptist, right? No, we don't enjoy and rejoice because of suffering, but we, we, we enjoy the Lord's presence in the suffering, right? That's what brings joy. It's not the pain. It's Christ in the midst of the pain. Amen? That's why some of the people who are experiencing some of the most worst persecution in the world can be some of the most joyful people in the world. Go to any third world country, walk around a village. For those Christians there who are experiencing poverty, on many, and some of these places are dangerous places to live, they are the most joyful people in the world. Right? And, and, and got, I'm going to call us all out, me included. We live in the West where we have much and much and much and much and much. And, and we, we sometimes are the least joyful people in the world, right? So we don't, we don't rejoice because of suffering, but we rejoice because of Christ with us. Sam Storm says this way, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. That's joy. Happiness, by the way, is the absence of suffering. Happiness. Like you can be happy. That's, that's temporary. But joy is much deeper. Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts and comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a lot of comfort right there. We read it again. You didn't get it the first time. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, God with us in the suffering and all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who have any affliction with the comfort which, which we ourselves are comforted by God. Amen. What Paul is writing is, that, you know what? God is with us in the trouble and he brings comfort and peace that we desperately need. Amen? So when, when we experience suffering for the sake of the gospel... He's not abandoned us and left us. In fact, he's nearer then than he ever has been because he is no stranger to suffering himself. This is the other part of the, of the suffering, the gospel of suffering, is that we, we walk in the gospel of suffering with Christ, his likeness and his death, right? When we suffer. How, how insane would it be to, to think of and worship a, a savior who, who died who rose in the grave, ascended to the Father, who, who experienced the cross, the beatings, the persecution, all the things, and then just passes over this easy believism Christianity. 
That's insanity. Because easy believism Christianity is in conflict, conflict with the world. Would you agree? Right? Jesus didn't change culture when he died the cross and rose from the grave. He changed lives and hearts, transformed souls. Amen? Right? Culture is still the same. It's in disregard towards God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. We have the same sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Or verse 10, excuse me, following. Blessed are those who are persecuted, Jesus says. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, he says, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it's important that we talk about suffering. It's important that we rejoice in our suffering, not because of suffering, but because of Christ. Verse 14. Ooh, I got to pick up some speed. If you are insulted, Peter says, for the sake of Christ, you are blessed. That word blessed there is my favorite blessed word because there are several words for blessed in the New Testament. It's the word makarios. You may remember Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. The word makarios literally means you are satisfied, you are fulfilled, in this case, in Christ. More than just happiness, you are completely fulfilled in Christ. So you are blessed because the Spirit of God, you are satisfied because the Spirit of God and of God rests upon you. Number three, we fail to appreciate the fruit of suffering if we are only focused on escaping suffering. There is fruit of your suffering. What I mean by that is there's something good that comes out of your suffering. If, if, our eyes are on Christ in the suffering. Here's the problem. Most of us, when we suffer, you know what all we look at? We look at the problems, don't we? We are looking at the wind and the waves, the, the seas. We are looking at all the other places and we're blaming our suffering on all those things. And that is true. The suffering has some result of the things around us. Amen, right? But that's not where our eyes should be in suffering. One of the greatest uh, controversies in our world when it comes to Christianity is the problem of pain and suffering. What do you do with the problem of pain and suffering? Uh, I, I like reading on that uh, subject. C.S. Lewis wrote a whole bunch on the problem of pain and suffering. Have you ever read his uh, writing called the, the, the Problem of Pain? It's fantastic. And there's a quote that most of you guys would probably know. I've used many times before in a sermon. It says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pain. And his his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Suffering God uses. But the point is not to look at the problem. The point is to look at God because God is doing something in the suffering. The problem with the pain and suffering and the, and the conflict with our culture is this. That people want to quickly accuse God of evil. Listen carefully. I'm about to get deep in for a minute. We want to accuse God. God, why did you do this? We want to throw the blame. We want to throw the guilt on God. And most certainly, I have to declare that God is sovereign and providential over all things. And he has the capacity to stop all evil. Amen? He has the power to do so. But he allows certain things because the world that we live in is not under the authority of Christ yet. In fact, there's been a temporary traitor who is leading this. Instead of throwing the blame on him, the enemy, Satan himself, we blame God. God, you did this. Why, why don't we just call it what it is? You know the reason why we have pain and suffering in the world? Because we have sin in the world and we have death in the world. And they are the counterparts of the enemy. Right? The problem of pain and suffering does not come from God. 
The problem of pain and suffering comes from sin, the devil, the enemy. Well, preacher, man, I, I just can't, I can't go to church. I can't believe in Christianity because this bad thing happened in my life, and I can't believe God would do that to me. God didn't do that to you. God would allow it to happen. And he has a purpose in that, and sometimes we don't understand that purpose. There's, there's something beautiful in that purpose. There's something God wants to produce in the pain. The question is, are we going to let God produce it or not? Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5 through 5, Paul writes, More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One commentary says, he purposes righteous suffering in order to test our faith and refine our character. That's it. How, how, how sad, if, if, we, if, if everything in life was just easy, I think that our faith would actually begin to be diminished. In fact, I would, I would certainly say this. If everything in life was easy, we would be so quick to do this to ourselves and not look to God. So sometimes pain, suffering, struggles, and persecution are a good thing because it gets our eyes off of self and points them to Christ, to Christ. James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, James says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Woo, trials, woo. For you know the testing of your faith, here it goes, produces steadfastness. Endurance, Paul said, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So let the suffering happen. Don't try to escape it. Yeah, it should, yes, we should work our way out of the struggles. Absolutely, don't just live and wallow in it. But don't miss the point that God is doing something in the suffering. And I'll put JB next to this. In fact, I think God lets us stay in the suffering longer until we get that. Amen? Amen? I think sometimes God keeps us in the middle of the suffering until we finally realize, oh, here's God. He's trying to show me something. That's the way it works with my life. Amen? I haven't been led out of the, out of the desert until I realize, you know what? God's in the desert with me. He's trying to do something to my character in the midst of it. Verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 4. Just a few more verses. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Please, guys. Years ago, I'm not sure if I should share this story. Uh, years ago, I was teaching, uh, I think it was, uh, it, was, it was the Sermon on the Mount. And previous church, and I was teaching on, you know, if you uh, have anger with a brother, it's as if you're a murderer. And I made this comment. And I probably should have never made this comment because sometimes as a preacher, you just let kind of things flow off your tongue. And you don't really think. You, I mean, you just kind of, you're just talking through it and you're preaching, you're teaching, whatever. And I made this comment. I said, probably none of you have ever killed anybody. And I had one sweet lady in our church. She said, well, I did, preacher. It was self-defense, okay? <laughs> so I don't ever come to this, this conversation now with uh, assumption, all right? But this is a no-brainer. But none of you should suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as an, oh, a meddler. Now, ho, 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 ho. We ever done that before? Suffer because you meddled? <clears throat> it's called go gossip. <clears throat> Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. Number four, not all suffering is the same. I kind of pointed this out earlier. Yet all suffering can be redemptive. 
every suffering that we experience in our life, whether it's because of our sin, God could take the consequences of our sin, the suffering of our sin, and point us back to Christ. Amen. Have you ever been there before? Been a season where you just was, you know, I share my testimony. I often refer to my years in uh, high school and high school and early college. I was living in sin. God got my attention in the, in the midst of that. Four days before Thanksgiving, my, my freshman year of college, I repented. I had the, the second most spiritual moment of my life. Like I got real with God and Jesus made me radical that day. Okay. I, I was one of those float through life Christian preacher kids, you know, until that day. But it was in the midst of my sin that I looked up. I was at the bottom of the well and I looked up and you know what I found? God. So there's, there's something redemptive about suffering, even in the midst of our sin. But most certainly in the midst of righteous suffering, there's something redemptive that can be found in righteous suffering. Juan Sanchez says this way, God does not waste our suffering and neither should we. That's good. That's like biscuits with gravy. Amen. God does not waste our suffering, so neither should, neither should we. Verse 17. For it is time. This is a hard verse. You ever had those hard verses in the Bible where you're like, oh, swallow hard. <clears throat> it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who not, do not obey or repent and believe the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, I remember years ago, I heard an Alistair Begg uh, sermon. Alistair Begg's, you're familiar with him. He's a Scottish preacher. And, he, and if the righteous are scarcely saved, he says something like that, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You know, I can, just, every time I read that verse, I hear Alistair Begg. Okay, it's a terrible impression, yeah, of Alistair Begg. But if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, and listen, I'm going to tell you something. This point right here drove home this week with, with me. One of the greatest fruits of suffering is it has a, number five, a purifying effect upon our church. Number five, trial and righteous suffering has a purifying effect upon the church. Last two and a half years, let's just be honest with you, in every church in the West and probably most every church in the world, we had this conversation, Jerry, earlier has gone through decline. There have been people who have left the church and there's been people leave the church for various said stated reasons. Some of them may be valid, most of which probably weren't. Let's just be real. There has been a, a, a calling, a, a gleaning, so to speak. And it, what kills me, I, I talked with Brother Mac about this the other day. Uh, what kills me is the people that I assume would be the faithful ones in the midst of it all, I can't find them. And some of you, I thought, oh, I hope they can endure this, have been the ones who have blossomed in the midst of the suffering. Trace church history. The greatest moments in church history, the greatest movements of God, the greatest advances of the gospel were found when the gospel was offensive and pushed aside. In many cases, even illegal. The church that is growing the most in the world today is found in Afghanistan and in China, where it is illegal to read the Bible. It is illegal to gather where we are. I think American church, we can afford to suffer a little bit. Amen. It might be good for us. 
But what we've experienced the last two and a half years, although certainly I'm not the level of China or Afghanistan and many of those places in the Islamic world, not near that. But what we're going into may have the opposite effect that the enemy hopes. It may have a, an effect where the church actually begins to look more like the church that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John predicts, and in the Gospels we find in Acts, and then further on in the in our New Testament church. We may actually look more like the New Testament church than we do the American church. Woo. Where, are they, where are they at, preacher? I have no idea, but I know where we're at. Amen? Now, preacher, that kind of sounds to me. No, anybody's welcome. We, in fact, I believe this year with our theme of Restore, that God is, is going to be bringing people back that got out of the habit of coming. Amen? I don't write them off. I'm the preacher here, like I'm the shepherd, like I'm going to go after the one until the one finally gets irritated enough with me and tells me to stop coming after him. Okay, right? But there has been a purifying effect in the church. And I would, I would argue it's a good thing. One author says this way, God will begin the process of judging humanity with his own people to see who really are truly Christ. Is it, is it possible that the decline of the numbers in church are a reflection of actually the church? Is that possible? And where we had this false idea that the church was much larger, I'm not talking about just our local church, but the church was much larger because of membership and attendance. Maybe we're starting to see really what the church looks like in the West. And that might be a good thing. Amen? Preacher, that's hard. That's harsh. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Number last, and I'll land a plane. It's really a short sermon, by the way, just my standards. Short sermon, Jason, don't get used to it, okay? Number six, the faithfulness of God frames all human suffering. You know the one constant in all human suffering? God. He's not left us or abandoned us. He has been faithful when we haven't. Whether that suffering is a result of our sin or whether our doubt in the midst of our suffering as a result of righteous things. The fact that we, we have anxiety and stress and fears that develop. You know the one thing that does not move? God. God is faithful. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is what, church? Faithful. Wayne Grudem says God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has promised. Second Timothy, Paul says, if we are faithless, yet he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So to be faithless, for God to be faithless would deny his very personhood. Like, he can't do it. He has to be faithful because he's God. It's part of his character, part of his person. Charles Spurgeon said, the glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. That's beautiful. Thank God that God's faithfulness is not contingent upon my faithfulness. Because I'm a bonehead. You can ask my wife. I can mess it up. Amen? Your husband, wives, is a bonehead. Sometimes he can mess it up. Sometimes husbands, your wife, whoo, she can, be a, she can mess it up. And your kids, we all know our kids can mess it up. Thank God that he's not moved based upon me. Amen? Amen. Or you, or your kids, or our culture. God is faithful. David Jeremiah, God is faithful. 
And that trumps all of our problems, our tears, our tragedies, and the very prospect of death itself. And maybe this is, this is my prayer for us. But the Lord is faithful. This is 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In the midst of suffering, trial, there is one thing that we can count on. Is that God is in the midst of it with us. And he has never once, never once let us down. He's never been unfaithful. So you don't walk alone. So uh, this is a side note, and then we're going to pray and have time of commitment. So I've been asked a lot the last couple of years, so do, preacher, are we going towards the end times? And the answer I have is absolutely I have no idea. I wasn't there when God decided that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I look at the, the scriptures on that kind of stuff, but, you know, to, to assume one way or the other really is an assumption. And, and, and I, I have more pressing matters like the gospel today. Amen. Right. And so I want to fa- stay focused there. But it does inform the way I view the end times. Uh, I'm, I am not advocating a camp one way or the other. But I, I view teaching that suffering is going to be normative in the church is helpful for the church. Whether the, we're here during great tribulation days or we're gone, undoubtedly, the church will experience more suffering as we get closer and closer and closer to that day. The world tells you actually things are going to get easier. They can get more peaceful. But the Bible tells you otherwise, right? So as a church, here's here's the nuance. As a church, we have to to prepare ourselves for that. And what kind of church are we if we're not responsible enough to prepare our people for that? How do we experience suffering? Suffering. How? How do we do that? By remaining faithful to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Recognizing the suffering that we go through, we will never go through alone. We have one, each other. But more importantly, we have a faithful father who will never leave us or forsake us. Suffering, trouble, trouble on the horizon. What you do in that suffering either declares the gospel or undermines the gospel. The gospel of suffering. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that it was faithfully preached. Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, throughout the gospel and throughout the early church modeled living life faithfully to your word in the midst of suffering. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Lord, help us not be picked off by the enemy the first moment that trouble or comes on the horizon, that our faith is that shallow or that weak, Lord, that our roots are deeper in Christ. And so as the wind blows and the rains come, the roots hold up our faith. Lord, help us to be that believer. Father, in, in the midst of the suffering that perhaps maybe we're going through today, Lord, show us Christ. And Lord, let that be the hope, the anchor in the midst of the trouble. Lord, today, if there's anyone who does not have a relationship with Christ, Lord, I pray that they would see the gospel of suffering, that Jesus was God's son who lived a perfect, sinless life and then suffered, suffered on the cross to pay their sin debt. He rose from the grave, defeating death, and now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, Lord, for our salvation. Lord, let them today repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ for their salvation. Eternal promise of heaven, but promise of hope today is Christ in us today. Lord, build your kingdom, build your church, lead us to uh, repentance, Lord, of our complaining. Lord, 
Lord, repentance of our doubt in the midst of hardship. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.